the thing that's so great about doing service and activism, it takes you outside of yourself. And that's what the greatest thing in the world is. Hi, I'm Eric Ostro, host of Live at the Lortel. For season two, while theaters are still closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we are turning our focus to discuss the reckoning the theater community is facing for its history of systemic racism. We also wanted to give theater artists a platform to share their thoughts on the political and social changes in our country and how they envision the future of the American theater. I will be sharing my hosting duties with members of the BIPOC community to provide our audience with different perspectives and new ideas. It is our sincere hope these conversations will help us all learn from one another and begin the healing process. Good evening. I'm Eric Ostro. It's great to be back. We had a little break. Welcome to Live at the Lortel. I'd like to bring my co-host on, my dear friend, John Andrew. John. Hello, everyone Ooh, in the audience. That. that was good. You know, you got to make an entrance. Yeah, Eric. that was great. It was like a genie things. entrance. It was excellent. <laughs> yes, do it again. <laughs> well, let's, you know what? Let's get to our guest because I'm so excited. Julie Halston. Julie Halston was last seen on Broadway in Tootsie and received the Richard Seth Award for her performance in the Broadway production of You Can't Take It With You, along with numerous other Broadway and nearly 20 off-Broadway credits. Julie is a founding member of Charles Bush's Theater Company. She is currently reprising her role on TV as Bitsy Von Muffling in the Sex and the City reboot her YouTube series, Virtual Halston, became a pandemic hit with more than 40 episodes, and Julie was awarded the 2020 Isabel Stevenson Tony Award for her advocacy with the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome my friend, Julie Halston. Well, John, I thought oh, I my there it is. is. I thought I'd make an entrance with a spin, 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 spin. You the Tony. I mean, when you have one, you must enter with oh, it. Oh, it's beautiful. Of course, darling. Always enter Tony first, Julie. You're exactly. teaching us lessons. Julie, can you do me a favor? Can you just give one good spin? Well, of course, darling. Wait, 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 wait. Here it is. Oh, <laughs> oh, is that gorgeous? Oh, oh look how it twinkles. <laughs> it twinkles, darling. I, I, I just happen to have it here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> amazing, amazing. Do you put it in your handbag when you go out? or uh, next to it? I've been tempted. I've been tempted. <laughs> but, you know, we're all doing auditions now, you know, online because you don't do anything in person anymore and i'm thinking for the next you know rash of auditions that i i might have i might have to have it like right near me <laughs> I you know what i mean and you yes, know how you have course. to do these things well john can tell you i'm sure you know you have to say like hi i'm julie halston i'm currently in new york i'm five seven and i reside in new york i thought maybe I, maybe i'll do it this way you know hi i'm julie halston i'm five seven i reside in new york and i'm currently Oh, let me put this down. Oh, let me put this down. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's great. I'm yeah. so proud of you for that. We're going to get to that. But, you know, I want to okay. start 
and talk about your advocacy and your philanthropic work with the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation. It is something that I make sure that I give every year to. Yes, Um, you do. It is something uh, that's very close to Julie's heart. Well, you can talk about it, but I was a big fan of her husband as well. So Julie, tell us a little bit about the foundation and how you got involved and where you are now and Broadway belts and all that stuff, please. Well, what happened was in 2008, my late husband, Ralph Howard, who many people in New York you know, knew because he really was the voice of New York. He was the anchor man for 1010 Wins for uh, almost 20 years. And then he worked with Howard Stern. And, you know, I actually just watched Spike Lee's documentary about 9-11 and who is all over episode six, but my late husband's voice because he, you know, of course, was on the air all during that time. And what happened was in 2008, he was diagnosed with a a disease that we had never heard of pulmonary fibrosis. We'd heard of cystic fibrosis, but never pulmonary fibrosis. And it just so happened that a friend of ours and a friend of Ralph's who was the drama critic for the Associated Press, Michael Kushwara, also had pulmonary fibrosis. We had never even heard of this disease. And just so terribly, as Ralph was getting on the lung transplant list, because that's the only thing that can save you. It's a fatal disease. You know, there's no cure at this time. But if you are lucky enough to get a lung transplant, your life can be increased. And Michael Kushwara passed away from the disease in 2010, just as Ralph was getting on the transplant list. So our lives were completely upended. Uh, The death of our friend by a disease we'd never heard of. And of course we were just in shock. And we decided, because my friends uh, like Sue Frost, the wonderful Broadway producer, and my friend Mike Dvorak, they were also friends with Mike Dvorak. We, I mean, with Michael Kushwara, we did a memorial service for him at Birdland with Broadway stars, because as we all know, Broadway performers are the most generous and most talented human beings on planet Earth. And Liza Minnelli showed up. <laughs> no, Liza. <laughs> Liza Minnelli showed up. And, you know... It, People's heads were exploding and um, <laughs> we, we couldn't believe it. And uh, we raised money for something called the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation. And they, I got in touch with them. They got in touch with me and they help patients and caregivers go through this journey. And they connect people all over the country with the right doctors the right care, the right, you know, caregivers. And we had never heard of them before either. Well, we raised some money that night for this memorial service. And they said, hey, maybe we should do this every year. And, you know, I was already exhausted. I was like, Liza Minnelli's not going to come every year. Um, But guess what? Every year we got amazing stars 
to do this fantastic event called Broadway Belts for PFF. And Squiggs Robinson, you know, the great graphic right. designer, he helped with design our logo. I can't tell you the people we've had, Darlene Love, Andrew Rannells, Annalie Ashford, Linda Lavin, Tony Danza, Joel Gray, Mary Testa, the list goes on and on. David Diggs, it's just been crazy. And it was really Ralph who said to me, we have to do this. This is our mission now. Hmm. We have to help everyone who has this terrible disease. He said, I'm very grateful. I got a lung. Yeah. We got to help others. We got to pass this on. So Ralph's and lung transplant gave him another, what, eight or nine eight years? Year. Right? Eight yeah. years. And we were able to travel. He was able to walk his daughter, Lindsay, down the aisle. He saw yeah. the birth of great-grandchildren. You know, he was able to see me in more shows, which yeah. he always loved. And he was also able to see more shows. He was a great devotee of Broadway and the theater. You know, he really said, Julie, we have to do this. So along with Jim Caruso and the Birdland staff and everyone at Birdland, we did it at Birdland for the next five years. And then guess what? We got so big. We got too big. We, got too big. <laughs> we had to change venues. So now we're at the Edison Ballroom. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then, uh, yes. And then we live streamed you know, last year because we couldn't do anything in person. And, you know, 15,000 people ended up watching it. And we had Harvey Firestein gave a shout out and Ann Harada and Jesse Tyler Ferguson and Andrew Rannells again and Max Von Essen. You know, John, I'll be talking to you. You know that. Yeah, yeah I'll be talking to you. So, and, and I have to tell you, it's a great show. It's a great show. I, of course have a stylist and I am always dressed to the nines. I mean, always look fabulous. Unbelievable. I am, yes, I am your host. Unbelievable. Yes, and I and I have to be, you know, very, very fun and funny and scintillating and, you know, <laughs> I, I have to do all that. But I'll tell you, the level of talent we have is so fantastic and the generosity. And, you know, people loved Ralph and I think that was one of the reasons why Broadway Belts has been so successful, but it's really the Broadway community. I mean, there really is nothing like it. And we've been so lucky every year we give out an award. It's called the Ralph Howard Legacy Award. Yeah. And it's awarded to someone who has been a generous sponsor, but most importantly is someone who believes in mentorship and community and has demonstrated those qualities within their lives. And I have to say, we've had amazing recipients. The first recipients were Doug and Gay Lane. Doug Lane was one of my first bosses when I came into New York, and he has been one of my biggest supporters. And he and his wife give so generously to Broadway Belts and have been so important in my life. Daryl Roth has been a recipient. Mm. She has been there for us from the very, very beginning. This year, we're going to honor Tom Viola. Awesome. Because Tom Viola yeah. was the very first sponsor to just sign up immediately nice. and say, I'm in. And every year, he gives us more money and more money 
and more money. And he's always the first check and he's in every year. His commitment, as we all know, has been extraordinary. His leadership qualities, his community involvement. So we're very excited to honor him. You know, I got to be honest, guys. I did it the first year and I was just like, well, okay, we did that for Mike Kushwara. I never thought it would really keep going. And it was really my late husband and the PFF who said, no, 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 we can make this a a thing. We've raised millions of dollars. We've opened care centers for PF patients and caregivers, 68 care centers. I think we started with four. That's amazing. It's amazing. And what happens is, for example, if someone's in Utah and they have a diagnosis where they are very confused, they don't understand what this means, we can hook them up with the right doctors and the right care. Because, you know, there are people in rural communities. There are people in Alaska or in Hawaii that might be far away from the right doctors, the right hospital, we can get them the help that they need. Your networking group is incredible with PFF. I mean, it it, really is. It's just incredible. I mean, people from all the world, if they reach out to the foundation, you will help. You will help these people find Oh, yes. Someone to help right them. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I got to tell you, I've gotten calls. I literally got a call one time and I actually do leave my phone on, you know, uh, at night, which I, I suppose I shouldn't. But I got a call one time from someone in Australia who had huh. been diagnosed with PF and they were terrified and they somehow found me and I got them to the right place and the right people. And from all over the country, people call and you know, you take that call and I set them up with the right people at the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation and they get answers to their questions mm-hmm. because it's very scary when you're diagnosed. You know, look at what we're going through just with COVID. Yeah. But then to get a disease that is, there's no cure. It's terrifying. Yeah. And we can really help comfort people, give them the right information, get them the right care and really help their quality of life. That's the other thing. And since I've been doing this, there are two drugs that are now on the market that slow the progression of the disease. Hello, that did not exist in 2008 when Ralph was diagnosed. How does that feel to know that your hand was, was in that? It's not something that you, you know, speak about all the time, but your hand and your, your foundation that you helped start to create these drugs. Well, it does feel very, I have to say, I'm very, well, I'm very grateful and I'm very humbled and I'm delighted to be even a small part of it. The people at the foundation, the people I work with, Bill Schmidt, the chairman, Amy Kuzara, Wadzella, and Jackie Williams, and Seth Klein, all these amazing people, they just, they're extraordinary. Mike Dvorak, he's like my right hand and my left hand uh, <laughs> I mean, it does so much work with me. And um, so I'm just very grateful. I never want to see someone have to go through what I've seen with this disease, you know, and the great, wonderful Broadway producer, Margot Lyon, who produced Hairspray, right. 
right. and Jelly's last jam. Um, she passed from pulmonary fibrosis. Yeah. And Margo, yeah. Margo Lyon. It was very painful to yeah. watch someone struggle for breath. That's I mean, what it is. Yeah. You can't breathe when you have PF. I mean, you cannot breathe. You can't live if you can't breathe. Yeah. Julie, I'm curious about, you know, the art and activism, right? Like, how does this work? I mean, like, you, you've kind of talked about the community of artists coming together to support. But on a personal level, I think artists also need to have a life and to have a mission outside. And so how does that, like, feed your art and the art feed this mission? You've kind of talked about it but like you know what i mean as you know we're in a crazy business we are in it's brutal it's competitive it's lots of different emotions you know i mean let's like let's really talk talk about show business for a minute. <laughs> you know show business it's not pretty no no it can be, you know, there are times, and, you know, believe me, I, I, I'm an old lady at this point. I've, I've seen it all. But, you know, there are still times where, I, where I, I'm passed over for a job or something. I go, wow, they chose her? <laughs> you know, really? It's still, okay. you, you still feel it, that way. Yeah, you still feel like, oh, okay. Um, and then other times I'm like, oh, I see why they chose her. She's, she's so much more talented than I am. Um, she, she has real talent. But it could be a brutal business. It's a hard business. It, it very competitive. And you work hard even when you get the job. Yeah. It's so much work. It's so much work. The thing that's so great about doing service and activism, it takes you outside of yourself. And that's what the greatest thing in the world is. You know, we could get so wrapped up with show business between what we get and what we don't get and our image and this and that and money and this and whatever. I mean, oh, it can just, you know, you can go down a rabbit hole real quick. Yeah. The thing that's great about service, it's so much bigger than show business. You know, people forget that because life is bigger yeah. and we tend to forget that because it's so hard to keep focused in this business because it's a lot of distractions yeah it's a lot of and people it's a lot of people and there's a lot of distractions there's a lot of people telling you what you should and shouldn't be doing i mean i can imagine what you know, Michael, the author of A Strange Loop, goes through the interviews alone and whatnot. You can get very distracted. And life is bigger than all these distractions. Yeah. Yeah. And helping people is the best thing in the whole world. Listen, you guys know I'm a bit of a diva. I'm, you know, I'm like, a diva with a Tony. But I can tell you, nothing feels better than service but yours <laughs> is all tongue-in-cheek and you um you know you but julie you show up when someone asks you i mean i think that that is a big part of service is yes. showing up it's yes. just showing up someone asks you to do something for their organization or they ask you to to do a podcast interview or et cetera, et cetera, and you show up well and you that's know that's what life part. is about isn't yes. it? You know, showing up, 
I am a rather social person, which is fine. But ultimately, you know, we can all figure ways to keep ourselves distracted or whatever. I mean, you know, I could be binge watching something right now. But why do that when you could be talking about something that's kind of important? Honestly, the more, and boy, we're finding this out more than ever with COVID, communication, keeping in touch with people. People are very depressed right now. And it's important that we keep each other buoyant, keep each other going, you know? That's what's so sad, I think, about so much live performance that's not happening right now, is that wonderful feeling of being, you know, with everyone, it's not really there. That moment when the lights go down and everybody's sitting in the, to the theater, whether you're sitting next to a friend or a stranger, it is, it is a community. Yeah. We, yes. are, we, we are one once those lights go down. And yes. we all miss that so much. I want to go back a little bit. You know, Julie, before she was a big star, she, <laughs> uh, you worked for a financial company in the library, you worked for this gentleman who's still very much in your life. Right. And you would leave for auditions. Yes. And you, and you kept going back and forth. Tell us a little bit about what your beginnings were. Well, they were crazy. It was nuts. <laughs> and in I mean, the 80s, right? Yeah, it was the 80s. And you it had was- your head shot where you had to write down, you know, you had the, you know. Oh, yes. uh, Johnson lift casting, put yes. your put your yes. put your um eight by ten in with your resume and there oh, went yeah. in the garbage. Right. Oh yeah. No, it was crazy. And in those days you could actually slip your 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 picture and resume under people's doors. You you can't do that anymore. The thing that was crazy is that I graduated from college, I I took acting lessons at the Terry Schreiber studio here in New York, and, and he was a wonderful teacher. But I didn't understand the first thing about what I was doing. And I thought, and I talked to Nathan Lane about this. You love to, I love to drop names, by the way. Uh, that's another thing I do. I love to drop names. But, you know, what, what, what can I do? Oh, let me pick friend, it up. Nathan is a friend. He was on Virtual Halston. And he sort of asked me about this. I thought I was going to be a very serious actress. I had graduated from Hofstra University, where they used to reenact the Globe Theater. And I thought, oh, well, I went to Hofstra, you know, it's very classical. I thought I was going to be, you know, cast as head of Gabla. I thought I would be doing Strindberg and The Wild Duck and, you know, all those, you know. Anyway, of course, I had a Gabler and Julie Halston. It just somehow it didn't happen. It just, The Wild Duck. And Julie Halston, somehow it didn't happen. I mean, I'd love to see it, though. I'd I would, it would too. be great. <laughs> I, I, I would, too. Thank you. I just didn't quite know how to get in there. And believe it or not, it all started with Charles Bush, who also didn't have a way in. He, we, you know, he was doing a, a one-man show called Alone with a Cast of Thousands, and he was playing both men and women. I went to see his one-man show, and I thought it was just fantastic, and it was just fabulous. And he had written a sketch 
called Vampire Lesbians of Sodom on his lunch hour when he was a terrible receptionist. Here we go, yeah. Uh And I was trying to figure out how to, you know, just get anything, you know, and I, I met a lot of people who were, you know, went to Juilliard and NYU and Yale, you know, and they were like, oh, I'm spending the summer at Williamstown and I'm going to the Long Wharf Theater. Well, the Long Wharf, you know, my idea of the Long Wharf is the end of Christopher Street. I mean, I had no idea what these people were talking about. Anyway, Charles could not get a leading lady. He just... Nobody wanted to do something called Vampire Lesbian Sodom <laughs> on the Lower East Side, which in the 1980s was a very dangerous area. Right. Yeah. But crack houses, right? They were, it, they were crack dens. You'd literally walk into the Limbo Lounge, which is where we ended up doing Vampire, and you would step on syringes. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was real pretty. And, and there was no bathroom backstage either. And okay. the guys were peeing in cups. Oh, I'm telling you what I've gone through. <laughs> but he couldn't get anyone to, to do the show, to be his leading lady, you know, to co-star with him. And I had met him in San Francisco through a mutual friend. We didn't know what to think of each other. He finally called me up. I didn't understand his way of, you know, performance. He was in drag. All I know is I thought he was fascinating. And I wanted to get on his train, but I didn't really understand that parody and, you know, the way he was his theater troupe, as it were. And he kind of auditioned me and I was terrible, but they had no choice but to choose me because (laughs) no one else would do it. And I became part of the company. And I'm telling you, as time went on, we would rehearse at night because everyone had day jobs. And I was getting worse by the minute, but I knew. I didn't have much talent, but I had a a little bit of emotional intelligence in the sense that I remember saying to the company, look, I know I'm not really getting this style, but you put me in a wig in front of 60 gay men and I am gonna (laughs) glow. Well, that's what happened. I'm not joking. Right. I got there. The first performance was at a crazy club called Danceteria. Which is <laughs> oh, I remember Danceteria. Yeah. Madonna used to go to yeah, Danceteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was our first performance. They stuck a wig on me. I wore this crazy bustier and like a crazy cape. And I strutted around that stage. And, and, and there was a very large contingent of gay men. And that was it. Suddenly I was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and the company was like, what the heck is going on? And Charles said, well, I'm going to write for you. And that was it. He knew, I was in. He knew your voice. He knew my voice. And he said, you keep trying to be the normal lady. You need to embrace your otherness. You mm-hmm. need to embrace your diva qualities. You need to embrace how grand you can be even though you're basically a low rent nothing. You know what I mean? And he created these fantastic characters for me, like Kitty in The Lady in Question or Pat Pilford, these very grand dames who were really just low rent situations. And it was so much fun to play. 
And that was the beginning of our theater company. I love that you said this thing about like you were getting worse by the minute. And there's something <laughs> wonderful about being comfortable with being terrible in something and like learning to be like, oh, I'm really bad at this right now until you can get better. Um, yes. So, so there's something well, about that I, I love. I mean, the fact that I have done Broadway musicals, and many of them, yes. I can't sing nor dance. <laughs> but I do musicals. But I am a choreographer's yeah. worst nightmare. <laughs> I can't do it. I mean, you know, come on guys, you know, those dancers pick up combinations uh -huh. in five seconds. Really quick. Yeah. And they're like, oh, yeah, pot of gray, blah, 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 spin, turn, hmm, count, one, two, three. I, I have to write things down with an arrow pointing up, <laughs> pointing left. And I, then I draw a little diagram where I kick my leg up. It is so sad. It is so pathetic. But here's the thing. You work at it, you work at it, you work at it. Yeah. And... I'm so grateful that I still get the opportunity to do this. Yeah. I mean, I'm 180 years old. I can't, and they're still giving me work. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a favorite story, and you know I'm going to ask you to tell it. And I think our listeners would love to hear this story. It involves your mother and the mob. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, it, it's a, it is a great story. It's actually. a great story, Julie. <laughs> and it's a real story. It's really happened. I mean, you know me, Eric. I don't tell phony no. stories. No, 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 no. What happened is my dad was Sicilian. My mother was Irish German. My dad was Sicilian. I was nine years old. We were playing in the playground of Christ the King Grammar School because I was a good Catholic girl. And these kids started taunting me about being Italian. And I was very upset about it. I had never sort of dealt with this before. And they were making all sorts of accusations about Italians. And um, I remember running home and I was really crying a lot and so upset. And my mother greeted me at the door and she was wearing a little kerchief. I, I love that women used to wear kerchiefs. And she had a big gash of red lipstick on and she was smoking a Lark cigarette. I don't know if people remember Lark. Lark was a, and she was just, you know, and I was so upset and she was like, you know, what's the matter with you? And I said, is, is daddy in the mafia? And she just went, would we be living in this <laughs> shithole if your father was in the mafia? <laughs> well, that was it. I figured out that I guess my dad wasn't in the mafia. <laughs> oh, yeah, my God. That is a true story. And that's exactly what she said that with that so lark. Funny. And then you know she what? just stubbed it out. I love this so much. And like, there's something about, can you talk to us about camp and what it means, like, like doing all of that work with Charles Bush and that, that style. And there's something wonderful about camp in that, like, you really have to be an observer of people to be able to, to, 
to send it up or to like ramp it up. And so I'm so curious about working in that style and what that allowed you what was that like? What did you learn um working well, in camp? Well, you know, Charles, first of all, Charles is a, was a great teacher uh and because he really understood because he had seen so many of those old movies. So if you're going to do a parody, for example, of a 1940s movie, you know, he he had all those Norma Shearer, you know, movies like Escape or, you know, Betty Davis and Watch on the Rhine and whatnot. But, you know, he had uh, such a wealth of knowledge of the styles that he would be taking off. So I was, you know, I had watched a lot of those movies when I was a kid, but I wasn't obsessed with them like he was. And what I did, and he really, you know, encouraged me to do this is to rewatch those movies and to really, really get a sense of style and what you really have come to understand. And of course, now there's TCM, you know, those movies were made by the great studios. They knew who their audience was. And those styles were very, very particular very specific. For example, in real life, most women do not speak in a breathless, very strange little way, the way they did at the MGM lot. You know, oh, darling, oh, darling, I can't have you go out now. You know, first of all, nobody, well, I actually do speak that way because I'm crazy, but it was, it was that sort of MGM speak. It was sort yeah. of semi-British, yes. sort of semi-American. And in, in that sort of breathless quality. And then, of course, someone like Catherine Hepburn, you know, came around and she spoke in this very, very grand way. And, and that became, it was all this kind of speaking about the way people wanted to aspire to. But they also had these different genres like film noir where people would say things like, say, I just heard you got out of the clink, you know. <laughs> so it was very colorful. It was, it, and, and what I learned is, and particularly with Charles's work, you gotta speak fast. And that was what Kaufman and Hart, those kind of plays, it was very witty, it was very fast, it was very bright. And one of the things that I've noticed about a number of contemporary actors and actresses is they don't know how to do that. They're very versed in, you know, that slow kind of taking up their feelings. And, you know, they're very into their feelings. It's like, <laughs> actually, we want to feel something. You should not be feeling something. It's really about the audience. <laughs> yes, it is. But they're so busy feeling something that I can't feel anything. <laughs> Because I'm too busy watching you. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's not really great acting. <laughs> but that, so, that's what made, you know, you can't take it with you. Your part in that fit <laughs> like a glove because you had all of that training for all of those years doing yeah. all of those Bush plays with the... Uh, 
with the dialogue going like that. Yes. I mean, I had never been, I, I, that was the first production or real, real production of You Can't Take It With You that I had seen. Yeah. You know, I had never seen, I, you know, I'd seen ones or whatever, but the moment you make your entrance and <laughs> the stairs well, is a moment they, in theater I will never, ever no. forget. Thank you. Thank you. That was a show with a lot of mad women. Because like you and then Annalie, like all of like all Annalie of and, and Christy Nelson and and oh uh, can I tell my James Earl Jones story? Because it's so yes, please. Oh my no, it's it's my favorite thing. First of all, I'm madly in love with James Earl Jones, as we all were. We are. Now, really, I'm this is a little bit of a shocker, but it's so good. I have to tell it. <laughs> I Gay Wellington comes on in the second act. So I would wait and then James and I had this little, you know, little ritual that we did. I would walk down with him once the second act was supposed to go on and I would put him in his chair and I would, it was just this little thing that we started doing. And I was like, sir, let me bring you downstairs for the second act. So one night, I was holding his hand and bringing him into this chair. And he said, oh, Miss Halston, you have such lovely hands, beautiful long fingers and big long fingers and hands. I said, well, you know, James, you know what they say about a woman with big hands? And he said, big pussy. <laughs> no, it, I, 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 I could barely get through the second act. I was laughing so hard. <laughs> I was laughing so hard underneath the blanket because I have to be underneath the blanket <laughs> for like 10 minutes. I was laughing. You could see the blanket moving. <laughs> did, did, does, is he laughing or he's completely straight faced? Not a word, right? No, no laugh no, from him. He, no, he just said it and he knew just that said he it? cracked me up. Oh, that's hysterical. Big pussy. No, it's my favorite story in the world. Oh my Isn't that brilliant? Here's the thing about the stair climb. Scott Ellis, I, I couldn't, once again, it was one of those things I couldn't find. I couldn't find it in rehearsal. I couldn't find it. I didn't know what to do. And what I also realized so much with comedy, I need an audience. I need to be on the actual set. You know, that staircase that David Rockwell came up with was enormous. Enormous. And in rehearsal, I couldn't, I couldn't do my thing, you know, because you know how they don't really have the set yeah. in rehearsal. I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it. We did about three or four previews. I just wasn't finding it with this crazy sort of dirty limerick that she's supposed to say. Great thing about Scott Ellis is he has a lot of faith in his actors. And he said to me, look, Julie, I know you're struggling to find this. I know you will find it. What I'm going to tell you to do, it's a Thursday night. We have a great house. I'm going to let you do whatever, whatever you want to do tonight. The only thing I ask is that you tell the cast that they have to be prepared for anything. You have one night to do whatever you want on stage, but I want you to figure this out. So I went back to the text. It's always good to go back to the text. And the text says that Gay Wellington is blind drunk. She has 
she drank a bottle of gin by herself. <laughs> well, if I had done that, of course, I'd be in Mount Sinai. But if you're blind drunk, you can't really walk. You crawl. And I thought to myself, that's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to start by standing up, start by kissing, you know, because she goes through this thing where she's kissing people. And then I'm just going to fall to the ground. Because <laughs> if you've had a bottle of gin, I think you're going to fall to the ground. And then I'm going to start that stair climb. Well, it brought the house down, which was so sweet and lovely. And of course, the whole cast was laughing. James Earl Jones, he, he, he was, I mean, you could hear him. I mean, of course, he had such a great laugh. The audience was in on it. It was fantastic. And after it was all over, I, I hear Scott Ellis running up to my dressing room. And he goes, that's what you're going to do every night. <laughs> you found it. You found it. But I went back to the text. It stopped. It stopped the show every night. It, it did. So it good. did. Which I saw it two or three times because I loved it so much. Yeah. What a cast. But it literally stopped the show every night with hysterical laughter and applause. I rarely they, see shows twice on, but I saw it twice too, actually. Yeah. It was and, it was a great production. It was just beautifully production. cast, beautifully directed, beautifully produced, beautifully designed. Uh, it was just, it really, I honestly think it was one of the most definitive uh, productions of that great American classic play ever that we're going to see. I would say yeah. so too. That yeah. Besides being Electra in Gypsy, uh -huh. which was, seemed like an incredible amount of fun. And oh, it was. The opportunity to work with Sam Mendes and your two other cohorts must oh, have been it, it well it was crazy again gypsy the great american musical bernadette peters sam mendez but i will tell you and you know i'm sure you you have stories about like this i think i had six callbacks oh yeah arthur lawrence was very tough he did not want us me kate buttocky heather lee we were the strippers Oh, I think he thought maybe we were too old or whatever. And Sam was very, very specific. Sam said, I don't want young girls. They're weathered strippers. Now, I do have another great story because, you know, I have a story. Yes, I do. I was mortified, but I was so excited that I got called to do this audition. And I think I wore a little sundress and some like character shoes you know, for the audition, because they said you might have to do a dance audition. Ah! Anyway, there was a, I, I will not tell you her name, but there was a, a young woman who I have seen in a number of shows. She usually has a featured part, much younger than me. She was like in her 20s. She was wearing a very sexy bustier. She had a ton of makeup on. And I walked in. And she said, are you here to audition for one of the strippers? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, oh, I guess you're seeing all ages. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine? Wow. Can you imagine? 
And literally, after she said that, they said, Miss Halston, will you come in? <laughs> I, 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 no, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. It was so horrifying and rude, but it was so breathtakingly rude that I just started laughing. Because, <laughs> can you imagine saying that to someone? Right? And they, Miss Halston. And of course, the, the, the joke is that I got the part. <laughs> I, got, I got the part. You yes. sure did. And the interesting thing is that you've told me before is that you and Sam went back to the text with that character of Electra. I'm electrifying and I'm not even trying. I That's never have to sweat to get paid. To get paid. Right. I never you told have to me that story. That that's that's yes. how you found your way into Electra. He had asked us to do, you know, some little character background on our on our characters. And I was like, oh my God, Sam, you're not going to make me do sense memory now. And uh, am I going to have to go to the actor's studio? Cause I, I'm not one of those people. And he was like, no, no, no. I'm just you know, let's think about like what these girls have been through, what these ladies have been through. And I came up with the idea that, that she's, she's kind of a drunk, you know, um, <laughs> apparently I like playing drunks. Um, <laughs> but I, I definitely got the idea that these gals, you know, they're, listen, they're on the Wichita circuit. It was not a good circuit. <laughs> they were about 40 years old. They've been stripping a long time. These are not winners of life. So I came up with this idea that Miss Electra probably drinks a little too much. And we went back to the text and the lyric. I thought, wait a minute, I'm going to have this fantastic circular thing on my head. I'm going to have lights on my boobs Lights on my privates. When she says, you know, I'm electrifying and I ain't even trying. And I just have these things, you know, just to click. <laughs> and Sam was the one who said, Julie, why don't we have you stand so still? <laughs> don't move a muscle while you sing the lyric. <laughs> and I didn't want to trust that because I thought, well, it's a, it's a production number. It's a very famous number. Gotta have a gimmick. It's so famous. He said, I guarantee if you do nothing, you will get so many laughs. And he was right. You know, I just stood there, drunk out of my mind. You definitely were swaying it. a little. Right. A little drunk, but yeah, little no, no dancing, no movement, <laughs> and then pressing the buttons. And of Again, people went crazy. So, and now I've, I've heard in subsequent productions, that is how Miss Electra is played. So I, oh. I give it up to myself and Sam for coming up with that, with that wonderful idea of not moving. Sometimes wow. stillness mm. is the most powerful, and going most back powerful to the movement. And going back to the text, yeah. And yeah. Um, so you and Jim Caruso, the magnificent Jim Caruso, yes. uh, spent a lot of time during the pandemic entertaining the troops, yes. entertaining yes. the world. Uh, you have yes. about 40, 40 episodes of interviews and singing. And I mean, it was a hit from the moment you came on with you and Jim as just incredible hosts. I love Jim Crusoe. I think he's a, a soldier in our business. He really and, is. 
He, he truly is. And always giving new people an opportunity. But you and him together really helped not only our community, but the world during this time where well, we again, had nothing to do. Service, service. Mm. And once again, you know, it was, uh, Jim had asked me to do this. Uh, once again, I was like, I, I can't do this. I can barely turn on my computer, you know. I, I can't do that. He really got on me. He got on me and got on me. And he, of course, had this wonderful technical director, Ruby Lochnor, and he said, she'll help us. She's going to help us with this. I think you really need to do a talk show, and you know everyone in the Broadway community. And I was like, oh, I, I prevail upon them too much. You know, I do Broadway belts. And he was like, no, 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 we need to do this. We'll have fun. And he said, look, I'll help you produce it. And that's when he also said, you know, Julie, we can give a portion of the tips to your charity, to Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation. Once again, what a great idea. And I called them and I said, you know, why don't we, is this a, something we could do? They said, well, that would be incredible. And we raised thousands of dollars mm -hmm. from doing virtual Halston for the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation. And you know, once again, it came down to, hey, community, if you do know everyone, why don't you call them? Yeah. I mean, we were all in lockdown, you know, <laughs> drinking too much wine. Let's do something productive. Yeah. <laughs> so we did virtual Halston. Yeah. And I have to say our first guest was Mario Cantone. Well, forget it. Forget it. I did Joan Crawford. I did Joan Crawford. Yeah. Uh, that was the first show we ever did. I did Joan Crawford, and uh, I introduced Ruby, who was 20 years old. 20. <laughs> and we came up with this little bit because Ruby would talk about what she was doing, and, you know, she was so pretty and so competent. I was like, bye, Ruby! <laughs> you know, because she was annoying me after right. a while yeah, because she was so adorable and so competent. And so we came up with these little bits, and, and then Jim would show crazy photos from his childhood. I mean, Jim had one of the most interesting childhoods in the world. He grew up with his mom. His, his dad passed on very early in life. And he and his mother, he and his mother did an act together. <laughs> and it was, and they, they literally, as he talks about it, they played every fish restaurant in Texas. <laughs> and the name of their duo was Son of a Bitch. <laughs> I mean, when he told me that, and he told me that once we were getting to know each other again early in the 90s, I just fell in love with him. I was like, okay, this is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. You had an act with your mother called Son of a Bitch. And they played the fish restaurants. Fish restaurants in, in the Dallas area. I mean, you can't make that up. It's Come on. No. You couldn't write that. No, you couldn't. Anyway, we had so much fun the first time, and we were going to just do a half hour. And so I was ready to sign off after a half hour. 
and you know, we were talking to Mario yep. and all of a sudden people, you know how people write yeah. on, onto yeah, the yeah. private chat, yeah. whatever. They were like, don't go away, don't yeah. go away. And so we did it for an hour and that was it. In some ways, I feel like it, it was a connection to, to the community. I mean, it was, even though you were talking amongst yourselves, you were really talking to us, and we felt very a part of something. Oh, I'm so pleased. I, and, I, I mean, and these are available on YouTube, and you can still you can watch them now. I mean, oh like, yes, like our show. But we, I mean, we as audience members felt very much a part of it, and it was it was a highlight of the day. Well, I have to say, it makes me so proud because, and and I give Jim and Ruby so much credit because they came up with so many wonderful ideas and. You know, they said, why don't we do it during cocktail hour? It'll be like on a Friday night. And it was at the end of the week, you know. And let's face it, it was so exhausting. Ugh. Remember how exhausting it was? And you, it, literally, it would be like 3.30 and you'd go, it's only 3.30. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Only 3.30. Because we couldn't do anything. We couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It was March, uh, <laughs> April. I mean, it just went on. We, we thought... Oh, this is never gonna, you know, last more than a few months. We love that. Well, it lasted and lasted and lasted. And it really helped. I think it helped get people uh, at, at least get them Absolutely. through the weekend. Do you know what I mean? A bit. And Listen, we had so many great guests. Yeah, incredible guests. Listen, even a smile on your face for a few minutes once a week is something. Yeah. Oh, you know, well, people, you're, people for, you're very you know, kind, darling. People have you're forgotten how to socialize and how to how to be with people now. It's um, it's incredible. And what you're showing uh, for not only our community, but for everybody, I, I thank you and Ben Ruby. Ruby is adorable. Um, and um, I know you always say your technical difficulty, but you... <laughs> You pulled it off, Miss Julie. I, I, I mean, thought I pulled you, you it pulled off. You pulled it off. You I, did well, it. I knew that there was a couple of things that I knew I wanted to do. One, I was always uh, wearing eyelashes because yes. I believe in eyelashes. Yes, of course. I, I don't take the garbage out unless I'm full <laughs> You know, I, I, listen, Joan Crawford, Joan Crawford might have been an alcoholic monster, but she had style. She had style. I believe in style. The thing that was so fantastic, I do wear these Ardell Wispies. They're, yeah. they're these wonderful lashes. Yeah. Well, guess what? Ardell Wispies gave me a year's supply. Yes! They sponsored, they helped sponsor me during Virtual Halston. I still have a lot of their Wispies. I wear them all the time. And um, I just, I have to say, the thing that was fun for me because let's face it, we were all living in sweatpants and whatnot, is to get dressed up. Yeah. And I could put full makeup on and I'd do my hair and I'd wear something glamorous and, you know, nice earrings and whatnot. And, you know, have like a cocktail or a little sensei or something. And it was pretty and it was glamorous. And it, I think that helped me kind of feel better about what was going on. And I think it helped the audience, you know, too. Like we were going to have a, a little party. Yeah. And again, we had so many. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It was a little a party. party. And, and, you and we had great people, though, like Santino and Louis oh. Black and Mario Cantone and Mary Lou Henner. And oh, my God. I mean, I just I can't tell you. We just Bill Irwin. And it was just fantastic. B.B. Winans. B.B. Winans. Yes. <laughs> Come on. That was nuts. And he talked it, about, you know, Gladys Knight. I mean, awesome. it was yeah, the, just, story, the stories on it were incredible. Incredible. And, and then Billy Stritch and uh, Jim and I did a show where we did talk about when we used to hang out with Liza. We really did hang out with Liza. And <laughs> had so many fantastic times. So I think it was great for people because, you know, they got information, but they were also part of the party. Yeah. yeah. That's what it was. You were part of the party. Yeah. So anyway, I know a lot of people have asked just, me about yeah. season three. It's just yes. that I got busy this year. I was doing movies and I did episodes of Sex and the City and Gossip yes. Girl. So oh, I we haven't even gotten to movies. Sex and the City. Uh, yes, you know, and your other movie. Um, um, the Six Real. <sighs> yes, There's with, so with, much. Yes. With, yeah, Charles. With yes. Charles and the amazing Carl Andrus directed and, uh, and Just Like That where you've brought Bitsy. Yes. There's so much to talk about. We could be here for for two hours. Well, but can we have a second show with Julie Halston? Would that be okay? I, I'm okay with that, if Julie's okay with that. I, I, well, we might have to do it. I think we so. might have to do it. Does, I think do, so. I would like to do a section two with Julie Halston. Yeah, I mean, so I, I'm going to talk to you after Julie. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's our show. Next Monday, January 31st, my friend and Broadway bound actor, John Andrew Morrison, will join me again with the amazing Taylor Mack, the most oh. award winning playwright, actor, singer, songwriter, and sometime director and producer. Mac will talk about his show currently running at Here, The Hang, as well as his work with the LGBT Asylum Task Force. Then on Monday, February 7th, my darling Joy D. Michelle will join me in interviewing the international award-winning writer, director, and producer, Tina Andrews. We will okay. discuss her amazing career and discuss her philanthropic work with the American Cancer Society and her efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. For more information about the guests and how to attend our recordings online can be found on the website live at thelortel.com. Thank you for joining us. Let's all get vaccinated. Get boosted, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Can I just Absolutely. say one thing? If people have any interest in the Pulmonary Fibrosis Foundation, they yes. just go to pulmonaryfibrosis.org. There We've it been is. Putting it up. We've been putting it up all night. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much, sweetheart. Yep, and you can John, go, I'm so excited for you. Yes. Can't wait. Oh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, let's announce uh, John Andrew Morrison right at the end of the show is coming to Broadway. So I, uh, I'm going John, to have to get style lessons from Julie Halston on how to do Broadway. Oh, I love it. Maybe, I can't she'll, wait. maybe she'll give you some of her lashes. There yeah, you go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> theater is coming back, and we hope to see you at theater really soon. Good night, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you from the bottom of our heart, Julie Halston. We love you. Love you. Love Good you. night, everybody. We'll Thank see you, you soon. Mwah. This podcast is brought to you by the Lucille Lortel Theater. Live at the Lortel is produced by George Forbes, 
Executive producer, yours truly. Associate producer, Jeffrey Schubart. Press is provided by Sin Gogolak, GoGo Public Relations. Special thanks to Nancy Hurwitz, Alana Canty Samuel, Maura Levinas, and Ellen Chan. Live at the Lortel sound engineer and mixer is Brian Falk at Abacus Entertainment. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>